FIS Castaway, the podcast keeping you in the know about the shipping and commodity world. To keep up to date, sign up to our FIS Live app at www.fis-live.com or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Welcome back to Castaway, FIS's freight and commodity podcast. And it is Wednesday, the 22nd of September, and we have kind of a bumper special talking about the future of fuel oil. And we have Anton here from Integrate, a fantastic guest to be talking about that later on. Uh, So Anton, thank you very much for joining us this week. Thank you. Uh, Of course, we're going to be doing our usual review of the news, review of the indexes, and then a little bit more in-depth in our main markets before going on to that feature. Indeed, indeed. We've we've got the uh, trusty Kerry here to go through those main market (laughs) bits before we focus on that uh, special for this week on the fuel oil and what is the future going to look like? Exactly, exactly. Uh, a conversation I think quite a lot of people in the maritime market are having right now. So, cool. Well, let's, to that. let's get straight into it. Well, what's happened this week? Well, the US, UK and Australia announced AUKUS, which sounds like some sort of new type of whale they've discovered. Mm-hmm. Uh, their new strategic military alliance with nuclear submarine technology sharing. Uh, Lebanon finally formed a new government after 13 months of paralysis following that port explosion. Experts think that Iran is close to enriching enough weapons-grade uranium to fuel a single bomb within the month. Chinese retail sales grew by 2.5% in August year-on-year, well below expectations of 7%. In another example of the slowing down of China's economy, the US said it would reopen its borders to fully jabbed people from the UK, Ireland, Europe, Schengen, travel area, China, India, Iran, Brazil, and South Africa. And President Biden, in a speech to the UN, promised to increase climate finance for developing countries to $11.4 billion. Oh, and, and I think we'd be remiss not to mention on the subject of China as well, the the increasing nervousness and uh, surrounding the financial peril of Evergrande, mm. uh, China's, one of China's largest property. Developers. Although it did make a payment today. Or was it yesterday? Yesterday, uh, so, exactly. Squeaked by, but uh, not not really out of the woods yet, is it? So looks like good financial management yeah. from China, but I'm sure there's a lot of screaming behind the government <laughs> exactly. things. But anyway, what's been happening in the markets? Well, on the uh, Brent and oil product indexes, it's Tuesday the 14th versus Tuesday the 21st. Yet first yesterday, uh, Brent up marginally. 73.72 was 74.27 yesterday. Close according to FIS report, up 0.4 percent. The high sulfur fuel oils, the 3.5% rot up 1.2%, 402.05, and the Sing 380 up 1.3%, 426.80 closing. The 0.5s, the very low sulfur fuel oils, 513.43 on the rot, up 1%, and the Sing 0.5 up 1.1%, 538.43. On the high fives, as the difference between the very low sulfur fuel oil and the high sulfur fuel oil. Uh, a non mover on the rot high five, 111, and the Sing high five up 1. Point. 112 or 0.9%. What about the freight and iron ore, Kerry? Um, freight markets, uh, the Cape Pike, the Cape size 5TC average up $2,577 at $56,269. That is up 4.7%. Panamax 4TC average at 34037 That's up $1,570 or 4.8%. On the iron ore, some much bigger moves to look at. Uh, TSI 62% at $94 even, that is down $26.35 or 21.8% week on week. Fast markets, MBIO 65% uh, is at 117 spot 50, that is $26.30 down or 18.2% week on week. Cool. And then on the tankers, uh, down 0.6% TC2, 99.17, TC5 114.64 up 4.2%. T3C also up again, uh, 6.6% this time, 37.05, and TD25 down 22.9%. Uh, 
82.92 closing. And finishing off with the carbon markets, the EU EUA future, that's the European compulsory market. It was 59.85 euros, now 60.18 or up 0.6%. But going into the kind of reasons behind what's been happening in those markets and starting with the freight carry, what have we been seeing there? Absolutely. Well, the capesized market certainly shook off any notion of being sleepy, uh, providing dramatic evidence of why it can sometimes be best, I think, to hold one's conviction despite all the short-term noise. That is subject to risk limits, of course. Much like the sell-off after the coup in Guinea the other week, uh, Monday saw the paper plunge on the back of the widely publicized financial peril surrounding property developer Evergrande. Um, yesterday, it became clear this was an overreaction, not just because Evergrande made one smaller payment, as I understand it, they still have a much larger payment to face tomorrow, but uh, but just that the this would not affect the market in the short term, I think quite as much as people have feared. Um, in fact, the opposite, the C5 gapped up to $18 and even $18.50 being done um, on that route. Some of the highest levels we've seen in many years on the C5. Uh, and with a fresh injection of tender business, the Far East looks very well supported with the baluster list for the second half of October also looking very, very thin, thinner than it has in probably four or five months. A booming C5 market can only mean one thing, and that is the C3 has to follow higher. It is certainly doing so. And with the next fixture likely to be north of $36 per metric ton on that C3, that is Brazil to China with iron ore, we do expect it to remain very firm. Uh, this jump back has largely been driven, I think, to the surprise of some in the paper market by uh, by the congestion left over uh, due from last week's typhoon in eastern China. Um, but more importantly, the ongoing congestion due to those pesky COVID crew change restrictions that we've seen sort of affecting the market on and off throughout the past year and a half, um, which are causing yeah, severe congestion and, and, and helping to support that, uh, that Pacific market. Um, the uh, paper was solidly supported throughout the day. Uh, September was paid up to 51,000 yesterday. October paid at 47,000. This morning, it is hovering just under that level at 46,750 on FIS Live. And the Q4 is rapidly approaching 40,000 again. It's also worth noting that that October contract on the paper is not yet even into overbought territory on either the seven period or the 14 period RSI. So I would watch for, you know, potentially more room even for that to, uh, to be steady or, or move up. Um, since it's not yet overbought. The Panamax saw a similar pattern, although as usual with the Panamax, the overall moves were perhaps a touch smoother than on the Capes. Steady gains throughout the week on the physical did not prevent a panicked sell-off on Monday, mirroring the plunge on the Capes. This is despite a relatively healthy physical market. Inquiry actually picking up in the Pacific on that NOPAC route uh, with more grain inquiry coming out from the U.S. West Coast. Um, and uh, that was even despite the Chinese holidays this week. East Australia has also looked busy with a steady flow of cargo to India, despite a little bit less inquiry coming from Japan and Korea. The only real question mark on the Panamaxes is the North Atlantic right now, where a lack of fresh grain inquiry from U.S. Gulf does seem to be slowing the momentum a bit, uh, fewer of those TA cargoes around. Uh, paper did bounce back yesterday after Monday's sell-off with the October trading just over 36,000 this morning, up 500 bucks week on week, and the Q4 at just over 35,000, up about 750 on the week. But then the iron ore is looking a lot less healthy. Uh, yeah. Having uh, dropped below that 100 <laughs> on the index. Very, very much so. I mean, uh, uh, there's not much to say about the iron ore over the past week, except that it extended 
<laughs> extended losses over the past week. The iron ore futures extended their losses to near 100 bucks uh, overall as China has stepped up efforts to clean up the industrial sector. Um, concerns continue to grow, really, what we've been talking about for weeks, about steel production in China for the rest of this year. It does seem the Chinese government is very serious about restricting that steel production to last year's levels. Um, according to reports by My Steel, the Chinese province of Jiangsu is stepping up its power saving policy to conserve electricity consumption in the industrial sector with 20 out of 28 local steel mills among those thought to be affected by the new policy. Steel stocks declined on the week uh, up to last Friday, but uh, that failed to lift sentiment as October futures sank to 101 in London on Friday. And then on Monday, absolutely dropped again, although on thin volumes, it's worth noting with the Chinese on holiday, uh, to 91 bucks on the low uh, before some bargain hunters have come back to provide support. Uh, volumes this week have been virtually non-existent against those Chinese holidays, but a sharp uptick on the paper today uh, is really against, as you mentioned, that smaller payments that Evergrande made, um, and also on rebar futures ticking up in Shanghai. And I think an expectation that these sharp production cuts in Jiangsu should see the spot rates for long products pushing up for the rest of the week. However, I, I, I don't see a lot in the fundamentals in China right now to suggest that a rebound might have very substantial legs. So, you know, the words dead cat bounce do come to mind. So let's watch and see how far this goes up. We're already up 10 bucks this morning. Um, on the iron ore futures. So so let's see where the steel prices go, where the steel production goes. Um, I would watch that production figure more than anything else, because even if the steel prices in China go up, if the government continues to limit production very severely, it will be a struggle to see the iron ore push up. Let alone uh, big house builders going bust. It, well, exactly. And let's see what happens to Evergrande. Very much so. I think we know what's going to happen. <laughs> um, anyway, onto the tankers market, a little bit what's been happening there. The uh, T3C curve has been well supported recently as we see forward rates ticking up. This has coincided with um, earnings which have now moved positive, uh, $355 a day for the first time since June the 1st, as we expect higher activity in October for cargoes as increasing production and things start to get a little more, a little more back to normal. Uh, since last week, Balmer futures are up 5%, trading uh, world scale 38, Q4 up 10%, world scale 47 and Cal 22 up 5.5% to $9.30. This is the first time in a while uh, the curve has seen consistent gains across the week. So we hope this continues going forward into uh, 2022 and uh, a little bit of recovery, especially that T3 series, which has yeah. been sat there. At <laughs> exactly, exactly. For, Nice to finally see some uh, some positive movement in that. Been forever it's been there. But on to uh, oil and products. Well, we had a slide off in on oh, since last Wednesday, our last podcast, dropping below that 74 level on the Brent. But we have seen a slight respite yesterday, and uh, that has dragged prices back above 74, and we are still there again this morning. We With that crude drop, that was around about $11.5 move equivalent in Brent for fuel, and prices impacted on that alone, so let alone anything else that's been happening in the market with that Brent down, we have seen, not unsurprisingly, uh, a strengthening of cracks uh, on the high sulfur fuel oil crack. Minus 11.10 was minus 10.20 yesterday moving to. So somewhat um, softening that impact of that crew coming up, but um, not unsurprising at all with the inverse relationship between those two normally. Uh, gas oil, on the other hand, has dropped less um, with under 10 bucks. So it seems stronger in that part of the uh, the. Uh, products yeah. 
complex compared to others, showing more resilience. And I guess with the current gas crisis, that's not surprising at all. Really. <laughs> exactly. Uh, just to kind of mop up of what we've been doing previously and, and some of the news stories we've been following, the US Gulf of Mexico, uh, there's less than a quarter now of uh, crude production still offline after that hurricane that we had. About 331,000 uh, barrels a day of crude or 18% was still offline. Um, this was on September 20th reporting, uh, according to the US Bureau of Safety and Environmental Enforcement. So we're almost back to, to normality there. Uh, Saudi Arabia saw its crude exports uh, to China surge by 53% annually uh, in August, keeping its status as the number one supplier uh, for there, according to uh, Reuters data. Um, but we did see, obviously, what we were talking about last week as well, the resurgent in cases of COVID in China and the, all the old worries of the cooling of Chinese economy and with, with this actually impact a lot of what was going forward. So good news in August, maybe less good news in September going forward. On the other side as well of the uh, Pacific, the U.S. rig count also uh, kept a lid on prices moving up too much. Uh, the oil and gas rig count rose by 9 to 512. Uh, this is the week closing September 17th. And that's its highest since April 2020, double level it was this time last year. So um, Baker Hughes uh, data there from last Friday. Um, but looking at what's been happening with the, the EIA, we said that um, again, we've had that draw of stocks. Uh, reported um, down 6.42 million barrels draw, and that put it to 417.45 million barrels of stock uh, in the US there. And that would be actually pushing it down past pre-pandemic levels of 416.07. We're very close to that now. So it does seem to that we're really drawing down on those crude stocks in the US. And if you look at the API, which is predictions for the IA statistics yeah. this week, again, another draw, minus 6.10 predicted, draws in Cushing, draws in gasoline, draws in distillate. So again, it seems that we've probably had a, an increase in refinery utilization. And you know, with those product production figures, not necessarily accounting for what's been drawn through those refineries at the moment. Um, it'll be... I guess incredible not to touch on what's been happening with the gas markets. Um, <laughs> it does seem to be a, somewhat of a political game with what Russia and Europe have been happening. Um, Gazprom so. has refused to allow more gas uh, via Ukraine for October. Shock, shock horror. Yeah. Um, Sending prices uh, another 10% on Monday it was. So it, it does seem that this is going to be something of a continuing story. And according to Bloomberg, European gas storage is only at 72% capacity. A point which has been, you know, it has not been this low at this point in the year in over a decade. Wow. So some serious yeah. issues to deal with. So some forward. real leverage at play there now for Russia. Um, yeah, I, I wonder why they're doing that. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't know why. But let's bring in, of course, our main guest of the week and our main topic, talking about the future of bunkers. And uh, Anton, I guess with all the things that have been going on in the last year, it's been probably quite a market to be uh, in the physical bunkering. Yeah, it's been, uh, I guess it's been a roller coaster, um, obviously with the, the market in the beginning of 2020, with the IMO change and then um, <clears throat> uh, with everything that happened uh, in the pandemic. So yeah, it's been uh, pretty exciting and uh, we're pretty sure even more uh, more exci exciting events and news um, uh, going forward. So so yeah, it's been a uh, um, pretty, pretty good time. <clears throat> and you, you touched on IMO 2020 and that's something which is I mean, over 18 months now of, of implement, implementation and probably a lot of things were, were hidden by the pandemic. But uh, how would you, has the physical market kind of kept, kept uh, kind of done, dealt with that uh, implementation of that new legislation? Um, well, I think generally, 
Excuse me. Generally, it went uh, pretty well, to be honest, um, despite the expectation before 2020 that um, things wouldn't go um, as well. And I think, uh, as you mentioned, Chris, that um, the pandemic helped because that took a lot of strain from the system. So demand dropped for fuel generally, and that helped um, the adjustment. So um, I think initially the biggest concerns were uh, the quality of the product uh, and the availability. And I think um, those concerns have somewhat been um, alleviated, and particularly as uh, blenders and refiners, they learn to produce the new blends, and uh, we don't see as many off-specs, we don't see as many issues as um, you know initially is expected. So I think, uh, to be honest, it generally went well. There are a few issues here and there with um, uh, quality, but again, they're not widespread, they're not systematic, so... Um, so yeah, pretty well, I would say. And there's an obvious change for the regulation that high sulfur fuel oil has fallen out of favour in the shipping industry. Uh, yeah. But what kind of other changes has that IMO 2020 dealt to the uh, the physical side? I mean, yeah, like you said, so HSFO, I, I wouldn't say it fell out of favour, but yeah, definitely demand for it um, <clears throat> initially uh, reduced, but then slowly started picking up because more scrubbers were installed. And to be honest, um, not as many scrubbers got installed and ordered as initially expected because the spread between um, uh, heavy fuel oil and uh, 0.5 wasn't as wide as we saw initially uh, in the run-up to 2020. Um, yeah, I mean, I think people expected the refining capacity to be a little bit more limited on the uh, on the low sulfur fuel, didn't they, uh, at first? So yeah. we had a situation where... <clears throat> futures prices which are not delivered were higher than delivered prices of physical. Exactly. So it, it, was, it, it never made a lot of, yeah. Crazy January yeah. 2020 that we had where um, a load of people were, especially the physical side, were going, but that doesn't make any sense. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> physical dealt better with it than the futures. Exactly. Yeah, it was it was somewhat crazy. And, and, and I'm just remembering uh, back in December, in December 2019, when uh, VLSFO prices skyrocketed. Um, yeah. Well, right. So, but... I think that was one change. And then obviously now we have um, a little bit more LSMGO demand. We have VLSFO being available pretty much uh, around the globe. So, um, yeah, and I guess back to HSFO, obviously now we have fewer suppliers, fewer ports and fewer barges uh, available with that product. So even if you go to a hub port, you may not have as many suppliers as before to supply that product. So. And have there been any problems in terms of obviously now there are slightly more fuels which may be required? Is that something which the industry has dealt with well or has it been a bit of a learning curve? I mean, when you have a change, there's obviously there's always a learning curve. But again, I think it's been dealt pretty well and suppliers managed to allocate different fuels to different barges. And to be honest, currently the two main grades are uh, VLSFO and LSMGO and whereas before it was HSFO and LSMGO, so the barge just uh, um, got a different fuel oil product in the tanks where um, HSFO used to be. So I think at, at this stage, um, there isn't that much complexity, I would say, but obviously going forward, that will change for sure. I mean, you know, aside from the regulatory change of IMO 2020, we've seen this massive swing towards an increasing focus on ESG across all industries. You know, and certainly in the maritime industry as well, um, you know, uh, uh, this year. Are there impacts 
that we can currently see in the physical bunker market that are, you know, moving beyond just the regulatory change of IMO 2020 that we're already starting to see? Are you seeing any trends in the physical market that uh, that really highlight that focus on ESG? Uh, I would say it's probably, I mean, people, of course, they do talk a lot about this and, um, um, you know, people are trying to figure out where to go going forward. And I, I think I would say it's probably at the research and calculation stage as to where. So I don't think that there's been that much impact on the physical um, bunker market. And um, although we, we do hear suppliers, um, some suppliers going into the LNG, you know, starting to provide or at least preparing to provide LNG supplies. Uh, we've heard some suppliers talking about mm. biofuels uh, and um, trialing it in, in certain areas. But I would say on a large scale, probably not yet. Uh, but to be honest, um, the good thing is that um, it's not a question of whether this is happening. And I think it's pretty clear for everyone that it is happening. The change is happening. I think the question is now when this happens. So whether there will have to be demand for it first and then supply will catch up or whether supply will be first. And then so I guess that's where uh, it's a little bit uncertain just yet. But in terms of the timing, but it is definitely happening. right? It's going to be a classic case of the shipping industry where you have a, a few outliers leading the pack. Yeah, um, we've already seen that. So. We've seen that with Maersk, who have opted for a few on uh, methanol. Others who've yeah. done some ones on LNG, and then the entire pack will move main all at once. Yeah, when they have to. We, exactly. And then exactly. the stragglers when, who, when, when the group momentum gets to a critical mass, you know. But, and then uh, the uh, stragglers uh, who didn't huh. get the memo. Um, but <laughs> I guess with with IMO twenty thirty, that is something which is going to have to be implemented uh, however that's done. And I guess what we're trying to understand from any sort of the initial offerings of people and, and chats which have been happening in the physical market is they're going to have to reduce carbon emissions. And do you have any sense yourself, Anton, of how that's going to be achieved? Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, just just to give a bit of a background, so by 2030, um, the target is to reduce uh, carbon intensity by 40%, and that's compared with uh, the year 2008. And so a number of measures have been um, uh, designed to uh, tackle this. And so there are short-term measures, uh, medium-term and long-term. So First, it will be the short-term measures that will kick in from 2023. And so these are made up of technical and operational measures. So the technical measures um, are called EEXI, Energy Efficiency Index, and then uh, CAI, um, which is the Operational uh, Efficiency Index. Um, and so there are different ways in which um, people may, uh, ship owners may approach this um, uh, problem and uh, you know when it comes to technical it could be um, introducing changes to to the hull making it more efficient changes to rudders and propellers so just mm -hmm. doing some uh, changes on, uh, on on that side and then when it comes to operational that's where comes um, you know what type of fuel the vessel burns and then um, some older vessels may choose to limit uh, the power output, um, among other options. So these are sort of the main ones, but essentially the, the idea is that um, each vessel will have to um, comply with these regulations in one way or another. 
and then it will be up to the vessel, up to the owner to decide what, um, which measures they implement. And obviously that depends on uh, vessel age, uh, the, the design and uh, the trading pattern and uh, many other uh, factors. Okay, so we've been looking at the various competing scenarios for this. As you say, you know, the, there are changes afoot and a lot of them are going to involve new fuels as well. To give, to give our listeners a little bit of a breakdown on what's been happening uh, in the maritime markets in terms of new fuels, there has actually been a little bit of a slowdown, in fact, a very large slowdown on new building ship orders. Um, this is something we've seen that is actually supporting the market at the moment on dry freight rates and really on containers as well. Across the across the board, and and the breakdown is that nobody knows the the issue here is nobody really knows what the, the next fuel is going to be for sure. The two principal fuels that are competing for this at the moment are LNG dual fuel vessels, some of which are already on the water now. This is a technology that already exists, and green ammonia engines, which are still in development to my knowledge, but coming soon. So. I'm going to put you a little bit on the spot, Anton, and from your conversations here in this increasingly bitter argument in the in the maritime industry, uh, what what have you seen that suggests what would be the the future dominant fuel for the shipping industry? Are you starting to uh, to see any firm signals yet of uh, of which fuel might win out or how this will work? To to be honest, I would say not because, like like you said, Kerry, it's it's pretty uncertain now. We do see um, quite a few. LNG dual fuel orders, but to be honest, LNG is still a fossil fuel, and I think the the attitude and the market towards it is that it will be a transitionary fuel. So, for some time potentially, because it still allows you to cut uh, carbon emissions, I think by up to twenty percent. But again, it's 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 still quite dirty, and it's it doesn't really get you there, particularly when um, the IMO rules uh, get more and more tighter, right? So. But, 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 but yeah, so LNG is, uh, is the one and we are seeing suppliers offering LNG uh, and starting to offer LNG in uh, more ports around the world. Um, the, other, the other one, like you mentioned, ammonia, um, the beauty of ammonia is that it hasn't got any carbon, right? So that's nitrogen and hydrogen, um, which you can, so hydrogen you can get from uh, electrolysis of water and then nitrogen you can capture from the atmosphere. The only problem with this fuel is that it's pretty nasty and uh, difficult to handle, right? So, um, one th- yeah. one thing is that when you carry am- ammonia uh, as a cargo, uh, that's that's possible and it's been happening. But then the other one is if you burn ammonia as fuel, and that's a little bit um, uncertain yet how to handle that bit. Um, there are others. Uh, so we mentioned before methanol. Um, which can be if it's if it's produced um, from renewable sources with renewable energy. So that obviously is called biomethanol, and essentially that's a low carbon fuel because um, when you burn it, you emit the CO two that you capture um, when you uh, produce it. Right. So yeah, that's that's another one, and. Um, there could also be uh, some people are talking about nuclear, uh, but obviously that's um, um, <laughs> yeah. it, it's a bit difficult to see, in potent, um, particularly with uh, the skill required to operate nuclear reactors and uh, um, uh, all other issues uh, concerning you know, pollution and uh, what we saw happening in the past. Um, and, and then also um, 
there could be a, an uptake in use of carbon capture storage. Um, essentially, the vessel may still burn the old fuel, but then the carbon will be captured and potentially will be captured at the scrubber uh, stage. Um, which I heard there are a few vessels now trialing that. But again, the, the, the attitude towards this may not be as welcoming because still you're burning a dirty fuel that essentially, um, um, you know, not, not as good as uh, the potential new ones. I just feel that we have a, a lot of options and it will probably depend, I guess, on the ship owners, their situation financially, their planning forward, whether they go, I'll take a short term, less um, cost impacted uh, assessment now to make sure that I can still continue operations <laughs> yeah. normally, but then I'll wait for everything to sort its you know, sort yeah. the market to sort its life yeah. out before I decide my new orders. And then others who perhaps have a little bit more cash rich will go, we can take a punt on some of these potentially actually proper Well, exa fixes. exactly. And, and this is one of the key points that I think is holding back all those who aren't extremely cash rich right now, which is that, you know, these engines, these new engines, you know, th this represents a difference of perhaps several million dollars in the cost of an engine versus, you know, a traditional engine, uh, vessel engine at the moment. So this is not an investment to be taken lightly. This will swing the, the cost and the value of ships quite extraordinarily, you know, moving into the future. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I guess... One last thing that I'm wondering is how these bunkering hubs are going to cope, are already coping with increasing stratification uh, of the bunker market, and and how do you see them coping, you know, moving forward, Anton? Um, yeah, I think um, at, at the moment there's probably um, not, you know, there isn't a big problem to solve when it comes to all the different fuels because, again, currently um, all demand is in. Um, HSFO, VLSFO, and LSMGO, and the rest of the fuels are only, um, they, they only attract marginal demand. Um, so, but then obviously, yes, going forward, um, it may be a little bit more complex, particularly if there isn't one uh, fuel that um, all, the all the vessels are running on, then uh, we will probably have to have more barges, um, more different types of barges, some barges delivering uh, ammonia, some barges delivering methanol, so that may uh, create a bigger problem for supplies. So obviously that requires extra investment, which will then have to be uh, paid somehow. Um, so yeah, I mean, one, one would assume that cost eventually has to get passed on to the consumer, right? But it, it, it will be, and and so the issue may also be is that when you t transition from, so some of the fleet is still burning the old fuels, and then new ships uh, come and they demand new types of so essentially the same supplier may then operate the legacy fuels and then the new fuels and then um so that's where the tricky bit comes in right so they will just have to be much more um, proactive in handling the situation and then um seeing where um you know demand takes them and then where they cut capacity where they add capacity so there will be a little bit of management to do but i'm pretty sure that um uh with time um it will it will get sorted just like it did with uh IMO 2020. excellent but then to uh finally put you you're gonna have to answer anton uh for, <laughs> for which point we always do this with kerry which way he thinks the markets is going but with <laughs> if we were to do this podcast again in 10 years Mm -hmm. <laughs> what's the situation going to be of, of the main fuel we're, we're going to have to have an answer right? what's the main fuel 
Oof, that's not enough. won't hold you to it. <laughs> in 10 years. Uh, well, what's the situation going to be like in terms of powering of vessels? I I would, again, don't... don't <laughs> we won't hold you to it, apart from being right. I would say if it's 10 years, then it's probably LNG. Um, but if you ask me about maybe 20 years, uh, I would probably bet on methanol or ammonia. Interesting. So Excellent. it would be good to have another po- podcast in the, in ten years time, and then yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, I'll put it in the door. I'll send you a Teams invite. No. <laughs> um, but look forward. Uh, maybe we're going to go back to sales, and uh, <laughs> I'm sure that Kerry could do a great impression of a, a modern day Ben Hur. Oh, exactly, exactly, exactly. Going forward. But uh, if anyone wants to find out anything more in terms of the physical market, then look no further than uh, Integrate and. Uh, uh, they have a fantastic platform engine. If you want to get involved in that, then do uh, search that. And uh, we have also have a, a great partnership with them uh, as well with um, a kind of data part, a data and uh, information sharing with engine getting futures pricings uh, and some technicals and, and other market reports. And then on the FIS live platform, also getting physical pricings as well as some of their uh, physical data reports. So if you want some more information, do look at both of those going forward. But uh, nothing's left then to uh, thank you, Anton, for exploring a little bit uh, today on what the future for the bunkering market is and uh, a little bit from us on our main markets. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Kerry. Yes, it was great to be on this podcast. And thanks a lot for inviting me. Cool. Uh, for thanks everyone listening, yeah. uh, do join us again next week. <laughs>